Hey everyone, it's Keith. So, it's mid-September 2022. I am in California at my parents' place. Kind of some reminiscence of uh, COVID vibes since I spent three months here for lockdown. And it was um, a very surreal experience that I'm thinking somewhat nostalgically about because it was such a nice downtime for all of us, right? And I was like apprehensive going into that you know, being with my parents for that kind of extended time as an adult for the first time. And these feelings of this trope of, um, you know, this aging dude who just is at his parents' place. And back then it was easy enough to overcome. I was comfortable. I had projects. I felt good about where I was in life, basically speaking. And yeah, it was all right. But now it's feeling a little different. I still have my broken foot from late July in Berlin. I've come to Sacramento to recover and just kind of relish, so to speak, in comforts and um, allowing or participating in my parents' um, help uh, in my recovery. And that's gone fine. Um, though it's kind of been confirming some of my fears of doing that. I had talked previously about, uh, recovering in Berlin within my day-to-day life around friends, uh, talking about maybe what I need and what I was craving, perhaps very much recognizing that I lack a real partner in life, a significant other that can really be the one that I turn to in case of emergency and all that. And I love my friends in Berlin, but it didn't, doesn't quite amount to that. And I decided to come back to Sacramento where I am really with the two people that unconditionally love me the most. And I guess I've been kind of I don't know, but I don't know if I'm judging that, but I have some uh, some conflict with that. I guess my point there is that in life, it is our goal to build bonds that match and then surpass the bonds that we have with our parents. Of course, that is a very special bond that can never be replaced, but through the circle of life and how generations work and how life works, like of course we do have to, so to speak, replace them. And I think I feel at this point in my life that that needs to start happening and that my parents aren't who they were because of just natural processes. And they're really grandparents at this point, even though they're not technically so. And yeah, it makes me think of the passage of time and passing time. And this podcast episode is going to be about that generally in a lot of different directions. So I'm very aware of time. I'm very aware of how I fit into it. I think I am basically, well, not quite midlife, but within that now realm, having kind of aging out of youth and into middle age, somewhere in that vague spectrum. I think in a decade or two, I'll be firmly in middle age and that will be the middle of my life. 
if I live to 100, which, you know, barring any unforeseen circumstances is what I think our generation should expect. You know, I mean, the greatest generation, my grandparents, they lived into their mid 90s. And I expect that boomers and Gen Xers should surpass that and that millennials should do so indeed as well, uh, especially as medical technology develops. Um, But all that aside, uh, I don't mean to get too macabre with this episode, but I do feel very much aware of existing within time and aging and time passing and how I pass the time. So dear listener, it's mid-September. I've been here in my hometown for a few weeks now, and it's been a little tumultuous given what I suggested earlier, that I've kind of... Um, I feared this, that I would become too comfortable, too complacent, too lethargic, and even lazy. And the first few days of that were acceptable, and I was leaning into it hard. I just decided to relax, to sleep as much as I could, to play video games, you know, to get into the spirit of recovery and doing nothing. And then I realized that I really did, I really have been exhausted, you know, like in Berlin for the first few weeks of recovering from this broken foot, I was still kind of, you know, pushing myself and maintaining a normal life, socializing a bit and not just giving in to self-pity and all the, you know, the aspects of being crippled to be disabled and to like just somehow own that and be that, you know, like, I don't want to be that. Of course I am at the moment and it limits me, but in my mind, I don't want to think of myself that way. And I don't want to project that. And I don't want to be limited, but these last few weeks in California, I have let myself feel that way. And I don't know if it's been very healthy. I suppose it, I have to be nice to myself and accept it and allow it a bit for me. But now as I record this, what I'm trying to tell you guys is that uh, I want to turn a corner and get more rejuvenated and spirited and energized and look to the future more optimistically because soon enough I'll be able to walk again. I'm feeling more um, feeling (laughs) in my foot and more dexterity and I can put more weight on my toes and all this. Um, So I think I'm recording this now in that spirit, but I haven't recorded until now because I've been just too low energy. I've been lacking the wherewithal and the organizational abilities to sit here and record this podcast, but I'm doing so now. I've resolved to talk to you guys about time and passing time. And what I mean by that, you know, let's take the video game thing that I've mentioned. So like I might've told you before, Some friends of mine got together and got me a Nintendo Switch. Now, I am not a gamer. The last time I played uh, a game was like, you know, I mean, I've just had a very, very casual relationship with gaming. I grew up, you know, as a 90s kid, essentially. Um, You know, I came of age when the Nintendo came out and was very excited and had the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. And those were fun times, but, you know, they were like toys and... I aged out of that pretty easily. You know, it was relegated to just Mario Kart with friends here and there. It was never more than that. And then, um, you know, I've dabbled here and there with like games like The Sims or maybe uh, 
the Legend of Zelda, Wind Waker, I can't remember what system that was on, but here and there it would show up, right? But um, I've kind of thought of video games as just a vast waste of time, just a total chasm, uh, a bottomless pit of, of free time wasted, so to speak, you know? I feel that way about sports. I feel that way about various hobbies and pursuits. And I guess we can sort of say that about anything that we don't particularly care about. I actually do care about sports to a degree as a LA Dodgers baseball fan, but I just make sure not to care too much. Um, And I see my dad caring a lot, arguably too much. And I suppose that's also something I just want to throw in here as like a way that we all pass our time. Now, I do like this kind of quote that I found years ago. Uh, Time that you enjoy wasting is not wasted time, right? Like recreation is good. Recreation is healthy. Relaxation is healthy. And it's good to enjoy yourself and to idle away time as you see fit, as you enjoy it. I think we all sort of have that natural instinct to judge that if it, if and when it uh, affects responsibilities and goals. And I think I am somewhat of an expert on speaking to that because I think in my life I have let that happen by and large. I haven't uh, taken as much pride and determination toward my goals that I could have. And I have really indulged in life. I've enjoyed my 30s, you know, and talking to a close friend here in Sacramento who dedicated his 30s to business, making money, and starting a family, as people are generally expected to do and enjoy doing, and it pays off, you know, like he was just telling me how he really did sacrifice his 30s for those things and didn't have this kind of experiences with travel and romance and other pursuits that I might have had. And it really is just kind of like that age-old contrast of priorities and differences of interest and what you want in life. I think the issue is that, you know, retirement is kind of seen as the time to really just indulge in your hobbies and your passions and your, you know, random little interests. And that doing so as a younger person is sort of a waste. It's a waste of your energy levels. It's a waste of your potential. Um, And this is something that I'm very uh, conscious of and maybe even insecure about because I dedicate myself to so much of this. I have so many different passions and interests. And I was contrasting this to my father who is kind of these days, almost single-mindedly interested in the LA Dodgers baseball team. Whereas, you know, so his YouTube that he's gotten into is like full of, you know, podcasts and analysis and sports talk just on this one topic. So his days are quite full of watching these three-hour-long games and then consuming content around that. And... Who are any of us to judge that, right? We all have our thing or things. But I guess what I've been thinking about is like how many different topics of interest I have on my YouTube page from conversations like this, you know, intellectual debates, uh, podcasting as a a concept or a a general, you know, catch-all term to think of, um, you know, 
I, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound too overly lofty here with intellectual pursuits, but, you know, somehow this kind of cerebral life, photography and video, art, uh, geography, city planning, architecture, design, interior design, uh, industrial design, technology, uh, Apple products, and other kind of personal gadgets. Um, so many topics interest me, and I spend my time pursuing them. I get into these kind of rabbit holes of, you know, digging in. Uh, my next podcast is going to be about energy, and I'm going to talk about my personal relationship with energy and how I've been feeling it kind of diminish and, you know, ebb and flow through my injury and on medications and being at home and all this kind of stuff, but also perhaps trying to relate that to the bigger concept of energy, you know, oil and renewable resources and how we all kind of power our societies as well as ourselves. Now, this isn't specifically my interest and I got into a bit of a heated conversation with my cousin because he's in the energy sector he's running you know a solar company so of course he's much more educated on the topic than I am so if I approach him with my ideas about energy and how I kind of see Germany and Russia international relations playing out and how the economy is working with energy and how trendy renewables are and how, you know, all this kind of stuff, right. That I'll say for next week, perhaps he can tell me something like Keith, you can't just read a few articles and think, you know, as much as an expert and you can't just walk in with these kind of soundbite opinions and sound off on them. And it had put me on my back foot. It's like, that might be fair enough, you know, like I wouldn't really appreciate it if somebody thought that they knew as much about photography or something like that after I spent, you know, all of my years in education on uh, communication studies and media, you know, to come in and have, and to think that their opinion carries as much weight as mine, perhaps. But that's a tricky thing, you know, I mean, it's kind of a, a logical fallacy or a, an appeal to um, expertise. You know, sometimes that is the case. Like with my broken foot, I'm not just going to trust any random person off the street to tell me when I can put weight on it. I need to see an orthopedic surgeon to tell me that. But there is some amount of common sense that guides that, right? I mean, if there's pain, then obviously I can't put weight on it yet. If I slowly test it, then I can kind of gauge my limits, you know? So even though I'm no expert on medicine, whatsoever I do inhabit my body I have a body and I have somewhat of uh, a take on my health and what I'm capable of doing so you know with this energy thing videos about oil and solar are not filling up my YouTube page but you know videos by Wendover Productions and real life lore and not just bikes or whatever things that you know a lot of stuff that I consume about the world does relate to these kind of general concepts. So I think of myself as kind of a, a great appreciator and a, an educated person that knows a little about a lot of stuff and synthesizing all of that stuff together. It's kind of what I do. It's kind of what I care about and it's how I spend my time. And I feel good about that. I f would feel better if I was sharing even more of what I 
know and what I learn and what I think with you guys through my podcast and perhaps a YouTube channel and beyond. You know, I should be sharing more of my insights and perhaps this is my work, you know, to to have something to say as a flinner traveling the world and picking things up here and there. It is my work to communicate this stuff. And <laughs> perhaps everything I do can be validated as research to the, in this regard. And now I want to get to sort of what I've been going through lately, which has been this very <laughs> lethargic, indulgent few weeks on this video game that my friends got me. So like I said, I'm not a gamer, but I've now clocked in over 130 hours on The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for the Nintendo Switch, which is an excellent addictive game. Now, <laughs> I've found myself like YouTubing, you know, like this is now a big part of my YouTube <laughs> homepage, like Zelda videos. I watch them to learn how to like get through a certain shrine or save myself time looking for seeds or whatever. But um, I then start watching them, them as videos unto themselves by creators. Um, you know, like it's a kind of interesting thing to watch a certain speed run of the game or to watch a certain breakdown of statistics of the game or to watch a certain analysis of the ui in the game you know the user interface it's a it's fun for me to watch videos in general about something that's that i'm curious about and this game has kind of become one of those things but not just this game um, i start thinking what do i want a video game console to be in my life like when i turn to that console what am I craving, right? I mean, my buddy in Berlin, Michael, who had broken his knee, he was the one that suggested I get this game system. And at first I bristled, like, I don't want to be a gamer. I don't want to waste my time throwing all this time into that. And then I thought, well, I have good memories of playing games with my friends. And it's nice to have it all around once in a while to, like, you know, get stoned and order pizza and just play games for the night. Like, once in a while, like twice a year maybe, I feel like doing that. So I thought... That could fit, and now is a good time. It was great to fly from Germany to California and have that game system in my hands. You know, it passed the time on the airplane perfectly, for instance. I, I thought, I don't need that because so much of my interests are already on a screen. I'm like staring at my computer or phone or iPad and pursuing things that I think are a little more valuable, more um, worthwhile, you know? Like if I'm working on a map, if I'm caring about mapping and geography and I'm actually building a map to print out or share, um, that feels a little more productive than just spending time on a video game. Because what is there to show for it? I suppose that's the thing. Like, I'm a creative person, so I want my interests to have an output in the end. Now, I'm a very <laughs> unproductive creative person. I have many spurts of productivity and uh, prolific output. I've created a lot of work in my life, but I, I do fail at sharing all of it and profiting from it. And that's business. That's a whole other discussion of how to, you know, spend my time more wisely, more efficiently. Nonetheless, like I do feel good when I'm working on something that I see as creative that will eventually have an output, even if it's very slow and, you know, drawn out. Um, much of what I do, you know, with photography, posting to Instagram at least, um, can be seen as creative output and not just consuming 
Instagram as a feed, as an infinite scroll, you know. And my other creative friends who are creative, I mean, who have output, they also feel guilty if too much of their time is spent consuming stuff rather than producing stuff. And video game is video games are pure consumption. You're not producing much unless you can turn it into content, as I'm aiming to do here for you guys, dear listeners. So it's just funny how I've noticed myself getting into this kind of niche worlds. Um, you know, The Legend of Zelda is a is an adventure fantasy series, and that's not really my thing. I'm not into Lord of the Rings or um, even Harry Potter or Star Wars, like this stuff doesn't really interest me, but somehow in a, as a video game, it works, you know, the, there is something a little more proactive and engaging with a video game that you somehow control versus TV, right? Versus the passive cold mediums that, uh, Malcolm McLuhan would talk about. Um, the medium is the message, so to speak. And the message of a video game is like this kind of um, somewhat beautiful uh, synergy between the player and the creator of the game where the player does really feel invested on a level somewhat greater than a fan of a, of a TV series or a film. And that's odd for me to say because, you know, I have a background in, in film uh, commentary and criticism and creation. And to me, that is kind of the highest art of our era because it kind of combines all other arts. Um, but it's not interactive the same way that a video game is. It's not, I mean, it's very engaging on a cerebral level, but it's not engaging physically, right? I suppose there are certain genres of film and video that are more engaging than others. Comedy, you do laugh out loud, right? Pornography, of course, you engage with with your body to some degree, but it's obviously not as engaging as sex. Um, dramas, you can engage with emotionally, and you can even cry, but somehow they're more passive, right? You're consuming it from a couch or a chair. And... I just don't, I, I, I'm just thinking about like how we compare this, the state of engrossment. And I think that we, we value and even fetishize that state of engrossment because it's so similar to the productive state of flow when you're creating something, when you're working and even just creating money, let's say for your work, um, if, if that's the goal, perhaps you can get into a flow state where your skill or maybe even your, um, intellect is perfectly matching um, the <laughs> um, the object, so to speak. And I think that we all crave that, right? Whatever conversation we have, whatever plans we make for the day, whatever goal we might set for ourselves, near-term or long-term, we really want to be engaged with our world in that perfect uh that perfect way, that perfect amount where it's not too hard, it's not too slow, it's not too boring, it's not overly stimulating, uh, it's not overwhelming. Um, and it just piques our interest just right. And it changes for various people. When we meet each other, we like it if we relate on our interests because we can get excited and kind of achieve or aim for that state together, you know. And it's just so... <laughs> it's so amazing and wonderful to me how many of these things there are, right? So as I've gotten this Nintendo Switch, 
I was thinking like the kind of games that I really like are um, these kind of like arcade style shooter games like Galaga or, um, you know, like when you're like a spaceship shooting, you know, asteroids or something. It's almost like a puzzle game. It's like learning patterns. It's like moving just a joystick and firing with a button. You know, it's not violent the way that like a first person shooter is, but it has that effect of like cathartic release of, of, of aggression, you know, but in a really fun way. It's like it's rhythmic, it's musical, and the aesthetics are really satisfying. It's like retro. It can be any aesthetic you want. You just put a skin over it, right? You can design it how you want. And so I've gotten really into like watching these like YouTube videos of like uh, shoot 'em ups or shmups as they're silly they're called in a silly way, and all the like various permutations of them. And I'm it's like I'm I'm being careful not to get myself too into it because I don't really care. I'm just trying to find the right game or two that scratches that itch, so that you just pick up your console and you just get right into that sort of zone of like zoning out that flow state. It's really about being in the moment, I think. I think that's the real thesis here. Like we all pursue things that make us feel in the moment. We forget about, you know, whatever depresses us from the past or whatever gives us anxiety in the future. We forget about, you know, our troubles or our um, overwhelming responsibilities for the moment. And we just are there engaged in whatever. It could be gardening. You know what I mean? Which I've also gotten into in LA. And whatever it is, like these kind of quote hobbies or interests, you know, you can get good enough where it's actually even more productive than that. But essentially, we're all just trying to be in the moment. And ideally, that moment is productive in some way, right? It's it's nourishing. It's healthy for us. It relaxes us, but it could even, you know, make us money or be shared and grow a relationship or anything like this. And, you know, I'm sitting here in my parents' living room just thinking, like, I have a lot on my to-do list. I have a lot of responsibilities. My mind is kind of spread thin across various cities and themes. I have to deal with my, my medical issues. I have to, like, find a doctor either in Sacramento, but more likely L.A. I have to maybe schedule things back in Berlin. I have to do so many things. But when I, like, get up and I'm, like, tired and I'm, like, not able to walk and I have to put my hands on my crutches and I just have to get myself to sit down with coffee and, you know, I'm not quite interested or ready or maybe up for the challenge of dealing with all these life tasks. And it's just very, very... (laughs) nice and fun to indulge on this whole other world and like I was saying I did that for like five days and I felt fine with it and then I started doing then I did it for two weeks and I thought this is not the best you know like this is not a world to pursue for me really and I thought why not you know like I was a, a cinema guy from you know, <laughs> if I could trace my whole life, if you'll bear with me and indulge me, dear listener, you know, like I started off perhaps interested in space and dinosaurs like most kids. And then I got into baseball, especially with my dad's encouragement and cared a lot about sports and played games. And then that brought me into middle school where I became obsessed with music and got into playing the guitar and music kind of defined my high school era. 
um, though I was also interested in a lot of other things then, but they were kind of like all related to the music scene. My politics, you know, were super radical, um, that related to punk and, you know, being a radio DJ related to that stuff as well. And, you know, being on stage led me to try acting and stuff like that. But anyways, like I was just so passionate about music and I don't know why I let that die. I kind of transitioned to visual art because I think I realized that being on stage and performing wasn't really where I felt in the moment and at ease and in a flow state. I felt actually still anxious, still self-aware and somewhat judgmental of myself. Whereas visual arts became more and more interesting to me because you could really get into your own little zone of, of, of obsession in your bedroom and just create your perfect little thing and then put it out there later in the world. And so it's kind of like been my thing since I was 18. And yeah, it's been, it's been fun to be creative in that kind of space of first studying film and then fine art and uh, video installations and photography. But when I moved to Berlin, my interest in film sort of waned because it was harder to access the latest in cinema because underground indie flicks weren't just coming to Berlin. They did to New York, and I took, I took advantage of that. But in Berlin, it became very hard to stay up on the latest things and be as savvy as I could possibly be with movies. So I actually got into books and that was my kind of love affair with reading and writing for several years and I consumed a lot of books and I just got into literature and you know realized my real thing was like this kind of rather purient rugged individualistic male you know novel you know like Bukowski or um uh, um I'm going to name a French author. I'm going to name a, a author from the 50s, like Henry Miller, um, Houellebecq, who I want to name the French one. Like I got into these guys and I just thought this is my zone. I'm gonna write a book and I did. And it was kind of in that space. And then I've fallen out of that. And then I've gotten back into arts and you know, photography especially. But now, like, what if video games were my thing, you know? Like, I've met game developers. It's, like, not the worst space. It's the biggest of all these entertainment industries, actually. Um, video gaming is bigger than Hollywood in its GDP or whatever. And <laughs> when I'm, like, watching and consuming these games, I am thinking, as a creator, like, this could be better. Even, like, this cover design, as it shows up on your Switch menu could be way better, you know, like this gameplay could be better from my UX experiences. Um, the whole thing could be designed in a nicer way. And I do somewhat <laughs> uh, fantasize with getting into that and trying to develop a game with somebody. And if any listeners are curious about doing that, I would be love, I would love to talk about it. It's a little, I'm laughing at myself because it's like, I'm exhibiting this perpetual college kid thing of like, oh yes, and that in life, I'll just go that way. And it's like, Keith, 40 years old is not the time to like, just get into this whole different thing, you know? Like, so I don't take myself so seriously when I say it. And perhaps like, that is what I'm like, being cautious of at the moment as I record this for you guys. To like, really patrol 
how open-minded you are and what interests come in and what draws you. You know, people get so caught up with, you know, Bitcoin, NFTs, uh, real estate, um, you know, like there are so many things that you can become interested in that can become overwhelming, you know, and there's this light at the end of the tunnel, like, oh, I can become rich if I just pay attention to this thing. Or, wow, this really suits my exact, you know, nerddom and sensibilities, like to learn the language, the jargon in this space is really uh, intoxicating to me. And we're all susceptible to that. I think someone like me is more susceptible for a few reasons. I do have this sort of uh, insatiable thirst for knowledge and information and insight. I'm just, you know, in, in my character traits, I'm extremely open-minded politically. Um, you know, I temper that with other things, but like, I am just very, very much, you know, an adventurous open-minded person. And it's been to my own detriment, you know, like (laughs) I've never had a, a solid nine to five kind of career because of that. But it's fun, you know, I get to learn a lot about a lot of things and, you know, synthesize information between these kind of spaces, which is really fun and I hope rewarding for you too somehow. But I have to watch myself. It's not worth my time to become invested in uh, NFTs, you know. Maybe it is as a creator. Maybe I should look at that space from a creative point of view and maybe it is a good business adventure for me. But... I'm just trying to be cautious about it. I'm trying to learn caution and in no small part because of my foot and my experience breaking my foot and becoming disabled for this summer. Like it's a lesson that I've been trying to internalize, like slow down, consider everything, think before you act, you know, plan something out. It's very against my sensibilities. You know, even like in my parents' place, um, I've been sleeping on, the same mattress and box spring that I had in high school, you know? So this, is, this thing is at least, you know, 30 years old. And somehow I, I tolerated that through COVID, but now it was finally time my mom agreed to replace this bed. And so we decided to upgrade it to a queen-size mattress and a bed frame that was, like, simple and, and sleek and minimal, but also had a, um, a headboard. And we shopped together, and we had a budget, and we agreed on what to get, and you know, I've now assembled it and put it all together with people's help. And it's like, it doesn't quite fit the room because the bedroom I have at my parents' house is quite small. And it turns into that kind of project of a layout of a bedroom. And my mom's attitude toward that is to really stop, do nothing, take all the measurements, think everything through, make sure it should go exactly like that. Whereas my methodology is like, oh, I can abandon this here. Let's try it. And then to just pull the furniture that way, to push it this way and see if the door clears it, you know, and to just do it, to just try it right now. And we have a lot of conflict because we're so different in this regard. You know, I feel this way about almost everything. I'm building a, I'm making a tote bag for myself. I'm designing my own tote bag because I just don't know why there's no product out there on Amazon or Etsy or anywhere that fits a MacBook Pro in a nice padded sleeve, an iPad next to it, a, and a, like a, a mirrorless camera to walk around and to perfectly pull out of your bag when you're walking around. And then to also fit, you know, maybe uh, a hoodie or something. And like, why doesn't this exist? Like if you look for camera bags to stroll around a city with, they're all really ugly and they're impractical. There's like, you know, 
shoulder things that you can go like slings across your body to like get access, but that won't fit the laptop, you know, like there's all these things. There's no product for me. And I just thought I'm going to make it. I'm just going to make it. And I just asked my mom to like get me some fabric. And then I was like in her house with duct tape, just thinking, oh, do we have scissors? Do we have a, like a, um, a straight edge that I can like, you know, use to make this? And she's like, Keith, you, you have to slow down. Take these measurements. How exactly this and that? I'm like, mom, just let me create. Let me practice. You know, like it's not so expensive. It doesn't take too much time. And it's been really rewarding to just go in there and do it. You know what I mean? And I just believe in doing that in life to just like jump in and do it. But it doesn't really make sense to like jump in and become a video game developer or to just jump in and commit yourself to 300 hours of a video game that amounts to nothing in the end. You know, it doesn't make sense to learn all the jargon for like all the different you know, slashers and, you know, characters and this sort of like JRPG and the role playing and all this and like, slow down, man, like, you're into so many things. And it's fun to jump in. But it's like, is it worth it? Is it worth it to spend your time doing this? <laughs> so <laughs> it's, I'm very amused by it all because it's I don't know. I'm like, I'm actually worked up and excited now. Like it's, I'm, I'm feeling good to like, just like explore this intellectually. Um, it's almost more rewarding to talk about it than to actually like play the game. You know, my brother is in town now because it's my parents' birthday weekend. And, um, I showed him the breath of the wild game and he was into it for a second, but you know, he was, you know, I'm already halfway through that game. So it's like, how do you just jump in? And then I showed him this game called cuphead, which is, you know, it's an affordable download that I got mainly because of the aesthetics. It looks like this like 1920s, 30s Mickey Mouse style retro game design. And it's super cool looking aesthetically, but it is so damn challenging. It's just a platformer where you're shooting bad guys, you know, but it is so challenging. You know, you die over and over like you can die a 100 times before you master a level. And to me, as a casual gamer, like I just thought, damn, this is not really for me because I don't want to spend five hours on one level of one game. That's silly to me. Like, why do that? But my brother loves doing it. He loves it. Like, all he's done all weekend is get on that game and charge through, you know, just trying to get through every level. And he's advanced a lot because he's good at figuring all that out. And I like watching him do it. But <laughs> it's just so funny to me. Like, that's not what I want from gaming. I want it to be fun and easy. Not so easy, but like for me, the flow state, the the being in the moment thing comes with slightly easier levels, slightly easier gameplay, you know? And then I go online and research this stuff and it's like all these serious, quote, gamers who are just like praising the difficulty of Cuphead for being, you know, a, ch a challenging game for serious gamers to get good and it's not for casual you know my dad will also like people in his space will make fun of casual fans fair weather dodger fans so they only like them because they're good this year you know you weren't there for the the hard years you know you got to really follow the team and care it's like do you can't you just like like them when they're good what's wrong with that there's a lot of gatekeeping to these spaces you know and that's what was happening with my cousin. Like, Keith, you're not in this energy discussion as much as I am. 
So you can't just walk in here. Well, you kind of can. You actually can. You know, in life, you can be a novice. You can be uh, an outside opinion. You can be a tourist. You can be checking it out. You know? Now, it's a fine line. It's tricky. You know, another cousin of mine visited me in Berlin before I left, and she's not a clubber. She doesn't do drugs. She's not into techno music. She really knows nothing about any of that. You know, she's a New Yorker, social work, you know, Oberlin College, you know, kind of hippie kind of girl. And she was in Berlin. She had heard of Berghain, you know, she'd heard of it. She had, she has friends. She has diverse friends that do relate to that stuff. So she wanted to go and I have a broken foot, so I couldn't really go with her. But I said, yeah, you know what, Chloe, go check it out. Just go check it out because the line itself is interesting to see and just seeing the people, you know, like I support that kind of travel. And I was telling this to my other friend in Berlin who I've been to Berkheim with over a dozen times. And he was just like, you know what? This is the problem with all like with with Berlin and Berkheim. Like, why do tourists feel like they have to go there? It just makes the queue longer. It makes bouncers more strict. Like, this is not for everybody. This is for people that know what it is, that know the DJs, that know how to party the right way. And why do people just think they can just stroll up there and check it out? You know, this is not some just way to pass a Sunday. This is like a serious endeavor for like a community. And I really did see his point, right? But it does depend. I mean, if it was really like that, then no one could get into anything. You have to like check things out in the world and see if it's right for you. And I think the point is to like just be considerate, but also adventurous to like to check things out and really try and dive in with like take that passion that you want to dive in with. Like you don't want to temper that passion. That stuff is good. But then you also don't want to be a fool and, you know, make a fool of yourself in front of people that really are into something. You have to like really temper it with respect for that community, you know, that genre of whatever. Um, but you don't want to be a gatekeeper. That's how punk rock died. You know, these serious punks like no effects, like gatekeeping the scene from everybody. So it's like, I don't know, it's it's a lot of give and take here. It's cool when we care about stuff. It's cool when we become interested in stuff. You know, I'm really into culture wars and dissecting what's right for society and how we fit into those things as individuals and how to have good opinions on things. So for me, it's also frustrating when someone comes along and they just have this kind of novice take on Black Lives Matter, because they just think like, well, of course, Black Lives Matter. Why would you not say that? What's wrong with social justice, right? Without considering what social justice uh, has done historically, you know, how it affects individuals in the name of groups, all this kind of stuff. So it's like, I can appreciate my cousin Max telling me about energy, like, Keith, you're a little late to this game, you know, like, these are real conversations that people have. But at the same time, fresh eyes are valuable on things you know maybe non-gamers have a lot to teach developers maybe it's worth having um this kind of opened up space of dialogue for games to be more things to more people uh having said that of course i realize that it's already a lot of things to a lot of people so maybe i'm not one to talk about gaming but i do know what i would like and i can't be alone in that you know like 
people like me don't want to give up a whole portion of their lives for this kind of passing uh, endeavor, this little fad of a, of a recreational activity. And there should be something for us. And of course, the answer of that is mobile gaming, which is the most popular form of gaming that's like really easy and basic to do on your phone. I mean, that is what people like me do. But I don't do that. I don't use my phone for gaming because I use my phone for mapping, communications, and creative productivity on Instagram and such. So, um, you know, (laughs) I guess I should just find a good mobile game to get it get in on like tetris or something and call it a day you know my mom spends all of her time playing scrabble words with friends you know and it's very satisfying and you know with that one i don't judge it the same way i do for my dad's interest in baseball because i think playing scrabble keeps your mind sharp i think navigating uh letters you know and even looking things up on the internet on your smartphone is like a good habit for my mom to stay in Um, so, you know, it might consume a lot of her downtime at night, but I think it's actually one of the healthier ways to pass time, you know, whereas caring about a baseball team, I mean, it's so passive. I don't know. I guess there's something religious about it. You know, you're like going to church when you're watching a game, you're getting dressed up in the gear as a way of, you know, devoting yourself. And it's something bigger than you that you can invest in and, you have to take the hits when they lose, you feel it. It's hard. And, but maybe that's deep in some way. Maybe that's life. And maybe it's a good lesson to, uh, to put your heart on the line and lose. But to me, I'd rather put my heart on the line. If it's like a well-made film by a respectable director where I know there will be a good payoff rather than investing in a ball game where you don't know the payoff and it can ruin your day. So it's just, I don't know, I guess it's just worth considering, you guys, like how we pass our time and how we check ourselves, how we monitor that. Not to say anything of like party culture, drinking, overly drinking, you know, that kind of stuff, or like porn addiction, you know, all of this can be a bit masturbatory, so to speak, right? I mean, no one wants to be or respect somebody that like devotes their life to just consuming pornography, for instance, uh, or food for that matter. I mean, gluttony, obesity, these kind of things. It's like, okay, that's dangerous. That's, I think you've gone wayward. This is an errant pursuit. You shouldn't covet food this much. You could, shouldn't, you know, consume something like that this much. And I think our interests can be like that. And I don't know how we patrol that for ourselves and our friends and acquaintances, you know. I don't know when you decide it's your responsibility to mention, you know, I think you're getting a little too much into this gaming thing. I think you're getting a little too much into this NFT thing. Like, who's to say? Who's to say? But um, I suppose it's just worth thinking about. All right. I think I'm going to continue passing the time today with um, organizing my hard drive and getting my to-do lists in order so that I can look at them and make more sense of them so that tomorrow maybe I can tackle something more serious. I've made some calls today. Um, I think I'll stay away from the video game today and let my brother just keep playing Cuphead. Uh, You know, I have so many photos to edit through. I have so much organization on my 
Apple Photos library and in Lightroom. I have so many things to do like that. And uh, not to mention updating my Google timeline. I love keeping track of where I've been and, you know, correcting the, the driving routes that I've taken. Like, I, I think OCD is something that I haven't mentioned yet. Just mental health. I'll just end on this level because I kind of was, I think I was starting to go there with, with my conclusion here. We have to watch for obsessive tendencies. We have to watch for, um, you know, getting into ruts. We have to watch for becoming lazy-minded, right? We have to watch for bed sores, so to speak, in life, you know, sitting in one position too long. You have to move your blood. You have to keep things circulating. You have to get up and do something else, right? Generally, figuratively, you know, you have to stay vital and varied in your interests, I think. And um, I'm very much conscious of my own mental health and how, you know, with, with uh, ADD, for instance, like I have 50 tabs open on my computer and like 10 programs open at all times. And it's, it's very hard to focus and get things done because of that. And adding more into that fire is a little silly, let's be honest. But if it does something productive, like get me through pain, you know, if it does something productive, like bring me some joy, bring me into a better mood for my next conversation with somebody, that kind of stuff, maybe it's worthwhile. But it's it's up to me and perhaps those around me to to watch that and to think, you know, are you in a good mental state? Are you are you giving yourself enough of a break? Are you giving yourself too much? All this kind of stuff is really worth considering. And I'm doing that with my parents. I actually wish they were doing it more with me. Because, you know, when we observe each other's lives, when we share spaces with each other, I think this is, these are the kind of questions worth asking to one another. And um, I hope that I can do that for you, dear listener. Let me know what you think um, privately. Uh, you can find me wherever you know. I'm on Patreon at Key Thinking. I'd love your support and uh, I'd love a message and I'll get more content out there for you guys. All right. Much appreciated. Until next time. Ciao.